this time, I want to bring up uh, our panel of, of, of guys. If you're on the panel, this is your time to begin walking up. Uh, and we're going to have about 20 or so minutes to get to hear from some of the guys that you uh, go to church with. And these guys are all business leaders and great dudes. They don't know what I'm going to ask. I'm throwing all sorts of different things their way. So this is going to be great. So... <clears throat> All right. So why don't we just start, guys, by um, introducing yourself and a little bit about yourself, family, wife, kids, business, how long you've been at Mariners, and just we'll start there. My name's Robert Polzel. Great to be here with you guys. Uh, I am married for 31 years. My wife's name is Sue. We got four kids, and thank you. Yeah. Sue is a good name. You can clap for that name if you want. Uh, four kids ranging from 29 down to 14. Um, not the place for this particular uh, venue, but kids getting to the age of getting ready to be married, it's something that, a journey that I've been going through, and that's really been an exciting time. Um, I'm the chief business development officer over at a company called Astropac. We do precision and chemical cleaning in some very high-tech spaces. We work in biotech, pharmaceutical, semiconductor, aerospace. So those are the sectors that we serve. Uh, I think you also asked how long we've been going to Mariners. I started at Mariners back when it was at, at Bison in the mid-1980s. Uh, left to live on the East Coast for 15 years. Came back 14 years ago. So been back for, for 14 years. Any other questions that you had in there? All right. It's great, great to be here. Uh, yeah, my name is Phil Hanlon. Um, been married for 15 years um, to my beautiful wife, Katie. We have a 13-year-old daughter and a 5-year-old daughter um, who are amazing. Uh, eighth grade and kindergarten, spread them out a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a firefighter paramedic, uh, and I've uh, been with my department for 13 years now. And um, some of the, I've been with Mariners here. Been, we've called Mariners home for about 11 years now, um, and uh, we love it. Um, that's the gist of the intro here? Yeah, all right, there's, there's that. Uh, so my name is Mitch Hughes. I've been married for a whopping two and a half plus years. Um, I'm married up, and so I'm part of the group. I don't know if it's, thank you guys, I appreciate that. It's been hard. Um, I'm happier, so I've been told by my wife, and... Uh, but the good news is I married up, so that's what's nice about it. She's from Minnesota, so it's a good uh, Midwest girl, which is always what everyone wants to hear as you bring them home. Uh, we've been calling Mariners home for about three years now, and like I said, she's from Minnesota, which meant I'm, I spent about a decade out in the Midwest. During that time, uh, I played ice hockey, and so I did that. Uh, what we'd call semi-professionally, I know I'm, I'm speaking to an audience in, in Orange County that probably doesn't know the first thing about ice hockey, so uh, just know that it was uh, a pretty high level. And then um, when I came, <laughs> I appreciate that. You're that a really wasn't big supposed deal, to be a joke. Uh, I didn't ask you about ice hockey, Mitch. 
I, it's my profession, Tim. Um, but then when I came back here, I, I actually work as a wealth advisor for a group called Beacon Point Advisors here in Newport Beach. Uh, our primary business is working with nonprofits, foundations, and institutions, and also bringing that to working with high net worth individuals and families, and we get to do financial planning for them. So uh, just like my wife's from Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes, we're now in Newport with the land of 10,000 advisors. So we'll get to dig into that a little bit. <laughs> wow. It's hard to top that. Good to be with you. My name is um, Wido. Um, I've been at Mariners for 27 years now. And so I was a little pup, um, came, came to uh, Mariners at, through South Coast Church and um, was, gosh, 15, 14, 15 years old and uh, stayed here ever since. Met my wife here, had our kids. They've been through ministry here, um, you know, in kids ministry and growing up. I have a nine-year-old, six-year-old, and a new baby on the way in March. We're, yeah, thank you. That's... Uh, that's everybody that's has a surprise baby, I'm sure. So we, it's a surprise baby. Um, my wife and I have been married 11 years, and um, you know, excited to be here. It's, it's a good, it's a great season at our church. I've been serving um, primarily in outreach, uh, international trips, um, and then I serve on the elder board as I'm the current chairman. I was the chairman before uh, the search committee, and then I ran the search committee um, and helped uh, this great team, you know, find Eric. And so I get to work. I got to work closely with Kenton, and now I get to work closely with Eric um, during this time. And so it's um, it's an exciting time. Uh, Work-wise, I'm a CPA, and I uh, run what's called a family office. So um, a family that sold off a business, and so I run their estate. So everything from estate planning, tax, uh, to all their investments. So I have a team of 13, kind of scattered in uh, Minnesota, Bay Area, and then Newport Beach here. Great. So I'd love for. I'd love for a couple of you, we, why don't you start since you have the mic, to just share maybe the abbreviated version of how you met Jesus. Yeah. Uh, we had this great, at, at Mariners, we had these uh, Jesus and me groups way back in the day. And so I was, like I mentioned, 14, 15, basketball player, this cheerleader on a bus asked me to come to this group. And I was, I was like, yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> came, to, came to it, and, and it was a season for me. Um, some of you have seen my video story at church, but born in Vietnam, uh, grew up in Iowa. I was a boat kid, and so my parents, um, you know, set sail on a boat. A church, a church sponsored us from, uh, we, were, we land, ended up in Malaysia. A church sponsored us from Malaysia to Iowa. And so growing up in Iowa as an Asian uh, was, <laughs> there, there weren't a lot of people like me. And so, you know, by the time high school came, I was in, I was in Tustin, and we'd moved a couple times to be near a coast for my dad's uh, business. And it was a time when I was kind of struggling with, you know, identity, age, uh, and relation to my parents. My parents are a lot older. My, dad's, uh, my dad was passed away last year, but he was 80, 87, so, you know, 40-something year difference. My mom was older. And so there was a cultural gap. There was a, um, uh, growing up in Iowa, heavy, heavily conservative, very Protestant Christian, so there was a religious gap. So it was, 14, 15, I'm, I'm really struggling with all these different gaps and how to cover these gaps and try to understand, you know, the things that my friends' uh, parents taught them that I didn't understand. And so, you know, I kind of went through, like, what life meant, where, where do I find these answers I was looking for, why am I here, you know, who created us, all that. And so I, w I was in invited to this group, and I spent probably a year and a half going through, like, a journey of just trying to find faith. And I remember one night... Um, 
just being able to answer that. And I was sitting there to the speaker, and there's um, a, like a physical room speaker, not a, not a person speaker. But I was sitting there, and I was praying, and I, I had this um, kind of pushing that God had for me. And it had been a year. You know, I'd been reading everything from, like, Buddhism to um, Christian works and to all these things. And somebody gave me um, C.S. Lewis and all these uh, – and, and like an actual Bible that I read through. And um, there was one night where I was sitting next to the speaker, and they had, they had there was like f maybe 20 of us, a really small group. And I was the only one that was an odd believer. So I was sitting there, and, and, and I know that people have been praying for me. And so, um, you know, I confess I gave my life to the Lord and uh, never looked back since. But that family still keep in touch with, and um, just so thankful to be able to, have a loving community and, a, and an environment that was open to understanding um, questions and open to understanding like that there was just confusion and open to um, allowing me as, an, as a person that wasn't, you know, like didn't grow up Western, didn't grow up with the hard evangelism like you believe now where they allowed me to kind of question things. And so very thankful for that. Thanks, sweet. Yeah, so you've heard you, you you've heard me make the joke of playing ice hockey, but I grew up here in Southern California, and I know ice hockey it totally makes sense. Uh, but I grew up also in a Christian home, so I was in a Christian home and an ice hockey home, which means if you're here in California playing ice hockey, you can't really do that at a high level. So I left in high school. Uh, I, I went to play in a league called the United States Hockey League, uh, and that's the league that they gear you up to try to get you drafted in the NHL. At the same time, they don't technically pay you, so you actually can play NCAA hockey afterwards. Now, during this time, um, as you, I don't know if you could probably tell on stage, Phil might make me look small, but I, I had to play the role of the... Thanks, I appreciate that. I, I had to play the role of the <laughs> enforcer. And so if you've ever watched an ice hockey game, and you always hear the joke, you know, I went to a fight and an ice hockey game broke out. That was, that was the role that I had to play. So I had a coach tell me, hey, every three to four games, we expect you to get into a fight or to at least do something. <laughs> Man, there's not, these aren't supposed to be jokes, but I appreciate the humor. Um, at that same time, though, again, growing up in a Christian home, uh, you kind of, maybe you were like me, maybe you weren't, but you know, you always hear about Jesus and how he walks with little kids and lambs and sheep and he's filled with grace and love. And I'm told I got to fight every other weekend. And it's just, I, there was a disconnect. And, and I, I had a lot of weird inner turmoil that I was dealing with where for me, when hockey's my identity and hockey's everything I'm fighting for, yet I've also supposed to be a Christian that has a lot of love. So of course that starts to win. Um, and, and, you know, jumping maybe four years into the future, uh, I, I ended up getting uh, enough injuries. It was right at the time that concussions started becoming highlighted. Um, I had my fifth. I also had a doctor tell me, hey, uh, you really need to watch this because there's a chance if you get another one, you're going to run some pretty high risks. And so I had actually come home uh, back to California, was thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to California schools, do the Saddleback education, really get a good one. Um, and then I got a call from this university called Bethel out in Min Minneapolis. So not the Reading one, I just, I'm going to make that disclosure, Minneapolis. Um, and they had an NCAA Division Three ice hockey team. And so if you know anything about the league I played in, 99.9% .9 of the guys play Division One ice hockey. I was part of that point one that maybe I should think about Division Three just because it's now a hobby. And so it was the it was the only school that was a Christian NCAA ice hockey school, which we can I'm not gonna spend the time going into that, but it really 
it allowed me, coming from this weird working to become a professional ice hockey player life to now in a university where I'm, I'm in my very first class, uh, Christian theology class, I had this fantastic professor, Paul Eddy. He's got some great books. And I just remember grilling him with questions, going, okay, I have to be tough in hockey. I have to do all of this. And you're telling me Jesus is, in my opinion, soft. And right, we could die, you know, Jesus isn't soft, but I'm not going to get into that. I thought Jesus was soft at the time. And I said, I don't want to believe a man like that. I want to believe in a man that I can look at and I can, I can see as a leader. And I just hammered him with questions to where over the course of about three years, he just really grafted me in and just explained who Jesus was and built that in to where I grew up in a Christian home. I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't see it for who he actually was. And then I come out of this to where I really understood Jesus is not only a man, he is just a, a king. And not only a king, he's able to floor an entire army with, with his name coming out and saying, I am. And you just kind of get hit with this stuff to where you're going, Jesus is so much more incredible and so much more of a man than I ever thought I was. Uh, to where I'll finish with this, but, it, you know, when, when not the come to Jesus moment, when it really changed for me, I had uh, one, of the, one of our coaches step down and he, he had coached at some very high levels. And he, he said to me, he goes, Mitch, I know you think it's tough to go out there and act like you're a big deal because how much tougher is it to love? Uh, and I, you know, it just, it, it hit me hard. Now I still ended up leading the league in penalty minutes, but <laughs> it was still, a thank you very much. It was still a challenge to me. And so I get to do that now in, in, in every day that I get to, to work and, and get to really do everything that I get to do, but knowing that Jesus is much more of a man than not only I will ever be, but he's a king that is worthy of worship. And it's been fantastic. Amen. awesome, man. Um, I want to cheer more. Praise God. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Jesus uh, is amazing. Um, uh, To keep it kind of brief, I mean, I had a a difficult childhood, uh, so it was rough. Um, But uh, somewhere in there, I was like three or four years old, a Lutheran pastor splashed water on me. I got baptized somewhere in there. Um, But, you know, I don't, I didn't, I wouldn't say I grew up Christian because it wasn't really a, there was too much turmoil, but it was there. My mom grew up Catholic, so she kind of got us to a church pretty consistently. Uh, but my stepdad was atheist. My stepmom and dad were Buddhist. Uh, it, was just, it was just a mess. We're all over the place. Um, but uh, eighth grade youth camp, made it to an eighth grade youth camp, had a real awesome experience. First time really seeing Jesus and the gospel presented. Um, there wasn't a moment where anybody prayed with me after that, but it wrecked me. I uh, didn't really understand then. Um, hit some more rough times during uh, the, my, my youth, and uh, I wasn't like a, a bad kid by any means, but I found myself in trouble one time. And uh, the first time I actually prayed the prayer to accept Jesus into my heart was a police officer led me in it. Wow. It the Orange County Sheriff's deputy. Um, amazing. Uh, and I really felt something that I didn't understand, but that that was Jesus, the spirit of the Lord. Um, so I think that's my salvation moment. And, you know, not to dive into theology or anything, but uh, it was a couple more years of it's been a roller coaster. Uh, and then uh, after 9-11, um, when 9-11 happened, I was uh, I was nowhere near God, but uh, something was drawing me to that. And this is before any thought of being a firefighter or anything. Um, And uh, so I ended up buying a plane ticket and going over there. I was 20, and uh, I was uh, 
I got I was able to volunteer. I was there for nine days at Ground Zero, and um, that first day I was there, uh, it was crazy. It was um, everything that it took to kind of get there, and then the moment that I'm standing across from Ground Zero, it was like the Holy Spirit was like waiting for me right there, and I had this incredible moment of not even realizing where I had left off from those those moments in the past, and he had just been patiently kind of pursuing. And uh, it's emotional every time I tell the story, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm face down, blubbering, crying in the, some street corner in, in Manhattan for like a half hour, just standing there like just, and everything's just, but it's just, he was just making me new. It was just a whole moment of, uh, of uh, just washing all that previous time away, putting his arm around me, and then it was, I had purpose. Uh, and so I ended up working at Ground Zero for those nine days. A couple of days after that was um, a very clear calling to become a firefighter while there, seeing what they were going through and, and this massive showing of, of the FDNY and, and, and the Holy Spirit said, that's where I want you to go. I want you to go be one of them, which was crazy because I was no Boy Scout at the time. So I came back and <laughs> had this like, oh, I'm going to go be, I'm going to have a badge on. I'm going to be, this does not make sense. My friends laughed when I came back and told them that I'm on this mission to become a firefighter. But five years later, I, I, got, I got the full-time career with my department. Um, and it's been a roller coaster. There's no... Uh, it's, there's no, uh, you know, and then happily ever after, I was just floating on a cloud like a perfect Christian boy. Um, by no means. This last 10, 12 years has been a real strong stretch. I feel closer to the Lord every season, uh, and, and, and I, that keeps on ringing true. So where I was a year ago versus where I am now, just even more in love with the Lord, following him closer and loving where I'm at and watching my life be blessed, watching my marriage turn around, watching everything that he does the closer I get to him. So, um, yeah, caption. Thanks, Amen. Phil. That's great. There's, um, there's a lot of God stories that came out of 9-11. I was living in northern Jersey at the time, and there's, it, God did some amazing things. All right, so a little bit about my uh, how did I become a Christian. I was, um, like many of you, I was born in a Jewish family. Show of hands. Bar mitzvah. Okay, yeah. So, uh, all right, so maybe not like everybody here. And as a senior in high school, I had a girlfriend who uh, obviously knows I'm Jewish and, and says to me, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And I had actually been very much of a seeker, and I was looking on a lot of world religions. One of you said something also about doing that. And I had limited knowledge but thought that I was super wise. And I, in, in a very patronizing way, I let her know that Jesus is one of many teachers and that there's many ways to God. And I'm going on and on and listing all the names of these different leaders of their, their various religions. And she says to me, but Jesus is alive and everybody you just mentioned is dead. So I'm a senior in high school. I hear this and I'm a Jewish kid and I had nothing, nothing to respond to that. And I literally walk away. And as I'm that same day in LA where I lived in Santa Monica where they used to have the railroad tracks at Santa Monica Boulevard. I'm literally walking on the tracks. I look down and there is a Gideon Bible, a green Gideon Bible, New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. I bring it home and I call my girlfriend up and I said, hey, you were talking about Jesus today and all that kind of stuff. What do I start reading? So she tells me what she would recommend. And no kidding, I read the word. And as a Jewish guy, all I could think of was, wow, this is the Messiah. Like, this is for real. This is, I mean, everything that I had sort of heard little stories about in the Old Testament, this is actually connected. And so, um, and I didn't even consider myself, whether being Christian or Jewish anymore, I just thought, I'm born in a family and now I see the Messiah. And so I wasn't even putting a title on it at the time, but it was just from reading the word. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Some amazing stories. And so um, part of the reason I wanted to have you guys up here is obviously hear your transformation story, get to know you guys, get the, the men to get to hear some of that. But specifically, we want to focus on uh, faith in the context of work and what that looks like. This can be a really challenging thing to do, especially in the cultural climate that we're in. And so specifically, um, can you share, um, and it doesn't have to be all of you just for sake of time, you're all wonderful. Uh, but just what does that look like? How do, you, how do you integrate your life? Because as men, sometimes it's really easy to just kind of go, this is this lane, this is this lane. Like, so what does that look like for you guys at work? Yeah, I'll go ahead. Uh, great question. And, you know, you started, Tim, when you were encouraging us to read the word daily. And um, I would just say that I think that is actually the hub of what I'll just quickly share is the spirit of God lives in us. We, we intentionally put the word of God in us, in our hearts and in our minds. And that's what goes with us wherever we go. So whether we're here, whether you're playing softball, whether you're at the gym, or if it happens to be at work, if we're investing and putting in the deposits of being intentional with the word of God, uh, that's what's gonna come out. Because it's actually not our gifts and talents that minister to others. It's God's Holy Spirit and his word using our gifts and talents, but it starts not with us. And so I would just say that for me, it's, it's when I'm disciplined and, and really diving into the word. Uh, just real quick to share a, a scripture that came up, in fact, in our Bible study that we do at my work every Tuesday. Um, we were looking in Romans and in the first chapter, I think it's 116. Um, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've probably read that verse 300 times. For some reason, it hit me. And for that one moment, I thought, oh my gosh, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. And there's times that depending on who I'm talking to, who the audience is, what the subject matter is, I may be more or less confident, more or less bold, more or less willing to share the gospel, more or less willing to really be overt about my faith. And so that really struck me that that sort of becomes like a role model, dude, I want to be in a place where I'm not ashamed of the gospel at all times, all in. And I took a look, and in, in Philippians, it, yeah, amen. And in Philippians, in the third chapter, Paul, I think, illuminates how we get there. And when he says, I consider all this other stuff, my reputation, my pride, my ego, my fortunes, my materialism, my rep, whatever it is about me, Compared to the knowledge of knowing the saving grace of Jesus, that's nothing. And when we get to that perspective, I just believe that's where we get the boldness. And so for me at work, if I'm getting in the word, that's what's naturally going to come out. And it comes out on my one-on-ones. It has nothing to do with the organization as a whole. It's connecting with individuals one-on-one, -on -one, caring for them, hearing their story, and having the word of God in us so it's ready to come out when we could just share love to them when they're sharing what they're going through. That's great. Amen. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think everything he, you said, and then just to add to that um, even more, you know, uh, it's what I'm doing when I'm not at work that's that matters the most. And, um, you know, diving into God's word is a number one as far as where to invest time. And, and every day there, there really should be uh, a, a heavy involvement in God's word, and it's throughout the day. You know, you have your morning out throughout. There's, there's, and there's so many. I wanted to say there's so many ways to do that now with listening to the Bible, U version. You got the Bible apps, mm -hmm. 
there's incredible media out there as far as like the Bible Project and other other videos and uh, there's a, an, a show called The Chosen that everybody should be watching and see. Go get that app. It's called The Chosen. One more time, that's The Chosen. You guys should watch that. Um, are you getting paid for that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> should get a little royalty for that. But no, um, I don't think they are. <laughs> it's amazing. But there's so many things. So when you think about the TV shows and everybody is, you know, I got you're all caught up on your Game of Thrones or whatever the things that are out there, um, you know, and, and sports. And not that there's anything it's specifically wrong with with really enjoying and being entertained by those things but when you when you look and and you see that man I'm not being a, a really good witness at, at work or in my marriage or in my personal life and then you kind of measure where you're investing your personal time you're probably always going to see a crossover versus if you're spending time in, if for me I can speak personally if I'm if I'm spending time in God's presence on a regular basis with my own personal time um it's, it's noticeable the difference in, in the relationships and the, the way that I'm navigating things professionally um, and, and in every other way. It's, it's tangible. You can see, uh, for me personally, that's been my experience. You can, I can see the difference. You look at a, have a hard week or having a rough moment or not really, things aren't really clicking. And I look back at my week and I'm like, what have I, what have I been doing? Where's, been my, where's my prayer time been? on my, my personal time, and, and man, I really spent, I watched all the Avengers movies this week. Why did I watch all the Avengers movies? <laughs> I didn't need to watch all of them. You know, They're or, great, though. I mean, yeah, or Star Wars. I mean, you just Whoa. dive in, and hey. then you, t yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, not that there's any, like, again, not that there's anything necessarily wrong. It's beautiful entertainment made by creative people. God created us to be creative and, and create. Those things are all great, but it's a measurement of how much time are we spending in God's word, and in God's presence, and that's that's how it affects me professionally. All right, and I'll, I'll, I'll be short, um, but I, I think this is important to say because you know when you're when you're working in wealth management, you you know how many times Jesus talks about money in the Bible. I, I don't have an answer to that. I even knew the question was coming, and I didn't look it up, but it's a lot. And, in fact, it's the most common topic that he talks about. But uh, when we work with people and their money, um, there's an accountability that not only we have to our firm, but also that we have to the client. But just as, as a Christian and as the way that we walk, there's, there's this fundamental belief that, that I have and that you know, a few of my partners have that when we sit down with any client, with any institution, with any nonprofit, that not only is the accountability to my client, it's to my firm, but it's also to God. That we believe there's going to be a day when we're going to stand in front of the face of God and have to give an account for everything that we did. And that for us includes the money that we steward. And so when we hold that as this is exactly who we are, if we are Christians, we need to live and actually lead just like Jesus did, especially when it comes to money. And so the accountability call that not only I have, that a couple of my partners have at Beacon Point, uh, but when we, when we work with finances and people that have money that they bring to us, our accountability first and foremost is always with God. And that will always be the case because we do believe we're going to have to give an account for what we do. So um, that, that's everything that we do. And again, I, I should probably look up how many times Jesus talks about money. So. I'll say, you know, it's, it's being bold in the workplace. Everybody, there's a lot of studies that call you to be bold in the workplace. It is hard. It's hard in the financial world to do it because a lot of people use Christianity or their faith in Christ to be able to get things done or to be able to get meetings or to be able to do things like that. And um, it takes a lot of wisdom and discernment and how to be bold. And I would say that um, a lot of things that I do are driven by my values, by my worldview. And um, that, that kind of... Uh, 
plays out in the way that I policy set for our company. Our, our values are um, based on biblical values, although it may not specifically point out to Jesus and, and call out Jesus' name, but they're all um, based on biblical values. And so based on that, I've the people I've hired are frankly people that are, um, that are believers. And so that, that's how part of my faith plays out. I, I you know, being um, an investor or being um, in a place where, uh, you know, like tying faith to money is a really sensitive and difficult thing. And so I'm very sensitive to that and try not to mix both um, together, and especially being on the board. I would never want um, to do something that affected, you know, mariners. And, and there's just, uh, it's a gray area for me. Um, the way it plays out and kind of transactionally is, uh, you know, I, I, there, there's actually a couple guys here in my industry that, um, that we didn't meet through mariners, but we actually met through industry. And so I think playing out um, the, the way that you treat people, the way that you, um, the happy hours you decide to take, the trips you decide to take, who you interact with, it all matters. People watch. Um, there are certain things that I do that, um, that are kind of driven by some mariner's policy. For example, you know, like as, um, as an elder or pastor, you, you typically don't meet with a woman one-on-one. -on -one. And um, so that's a policy that I have at work. Uh, when we, whenever we have a conference in Las Vegas, for example, uh, we, we, we double room. So we room up with another coworker. So there's a lot of things that um, play out in my faith that aren't specifically spelled out, but they're actually lived out through kind of the values of the company itself. All right, thanks, guys. Last very quick question. Some of you guys have been, uh, I shared about this new marketplace ministry, and so much of what you're hearing in this conversation is what it's going to look like in this roundtable meeting. And so if you've been in a marketplace group, could you just encourage some of the guys why that would be something they should jump into if they're not already in a group? Yeah, I, I go in frequently. Uh, my group's back there, my, the, the table, there you go, waving. Um, I, we started a group, and then life happened as with young kids, and so I have to take a little bit of a break. But for me, it was a great, um, we were going through uh, different books of the Bible, and it was a great encouragement for me to start off the week. We did a Tuesday morning really early to start off the week, the day, with just being in God's word and being with other guys. And so, um, and other guys that were, um, were in the marketplace, and uh, we had, you know, friendships outside of that group also. So it was just really important for me to have a weekly check-in, somebody, somebody, a group to be accountable to, somebody that was specifically going through, like, a book of the Bible to um, just to just hear perspective and insight on it. Thanks. Yeah, so very similar uh, to we is, you know, we've got a couple guys here that are in my group as well. Uh, but even more than that, uh, yeah, he's selling swag in the back. I'll give you a shout out. He didn't give me commission for that, but I'll expect it later. But um, rather than going into what it means to be in a group specifically, I just want to share quickly. I know I've talked a lot about hockey today because, again, that's fun for me. But I always remembered, again, we, we'd play on the weekends in front of a few thousand people. And uh, when, you, when you played, I, I've learned that I hate being a fan. And, and when you're a fan, what that means is there's 20 guys in your locker room, 20 guys in the other locker room, and what they're doing is they're gearing up to play a game in front of thousands of people that have come to watch. Now, when I got hurt, I had to go up and watch. And when I was a fan, it is just tumultuous. You, wanna, you just want to shoot yourself in the foot as you watch your guys on the ice doing what they have trained to do. 
Now, we get to do that here in the marketplace, especially as men of mariners. We get to be the ones who are putting on the jersey every single time. And I do believe that in just this world, even in Orange County, there's a lot of fans. And I hate being a fan. And I think the challenge is that you need to become a player, someone that puts on the jersey that's willing to do that. And the way that that starts is always going to be in these circles with these men because they're the guys in the locker room that are gearing up to play the game too. So again, I'll hate being a fan all day. I'll go to games, but I, I hate being a fan. I like to play. So that's that's just my experience like with it. it. Um, Last one. Yeah, I, I'm not in a marketplace group, but I'm in a men's group. And if you're not in a men's group, you need to be in a men's group. That's everything, what he just said, gets get in the game. Yeah, just real quick, you know, I'm in a small group that meets every Tuesday. It started as a marketplace group, and when that series ended, we just stayed together. The accountability, the fellowship, the encouraging one another in the word, it's been instrumental to start our week. All right, would you guys uh, give a round of applause for them sharing? Thank you, guys. All right. So now we get to hear from my friend and uh, New York Times bestseller, just amazing man all around. John, why don't you come up? John uh, has been attending Mariners for a long time here too. So he is one of the men of Mariners and he gets to share with us this morning. So would you put it up for John Townsend? Good call. Good work. Thank you, Tim. Hi, guys. Um, I've got a little assignment for you right now. Um, you've had a big breakfast and you heard some great stuff, so I want you to do two things for, for 60 seconds. I want you to stand and get it shaken out and ask yourself, ask each other, what's one thing in the panel that said that challenged me? 60 seconds. One thing that challenged me. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Which one? Uh, fuel. Fuel? Yeah. Okay. Then, thank you very much. Okay, guys. Good. Let's take a seat. Let's grab a chair. First off, I want to thank Mariners and Tim and all the volunteers that helped out here for this great, great meal and event. So just thank you, guys.
A man had a daughter, and his daughter grew up. And she came to him one day, and she said, Dad, I've met the man that I want to marry. And the dad said, well, this is a shock. Uh, what about this guy? We don't know him very well. I mean, you've seen him date you, date you a few times. She goes, yeah, but he's the guy. And her dad says, well, this is kind of a big deal. You know, you're a big deal. So I really want to spend some time with this young man because you're important to me and your mom. The young lady says, I've already set up the appointment. He's coming over to the house at 3 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> and I want this to happen. The dad says, great. So 3 o'clock the next day, the door ring, doorbell rings. The dad opens the door, and there's a young man there, and his name is Larry. And the dad says, hi, are you Larry? Larry says, yes, I am, sir. I'm here to talk to you about my interest in your daughter. Dad says, come on in. They go into the uh, living room. They sit down, and the dad says, now, glad you're here. Uh, I understand you want to marry my daughter, and my wife and I, are, obviously, we care a lot about her. So I have some questions to ask you because she's very important to us to see how you answer those questions. And Larry says, I'm an open book. Anything you want to ask. Okay, I've got three questions for you. Question number one, what do you do? Do you, like, have a job or anything? Or, you know, we want to make sure she was somebody that's stable and, you know, has got an income coming and this sort of thing. So what's your, what are your, what's your job and what's your career and your vision? And Larry says, it's funny you asked that. I'm really glad you asked that. I, I don't have a job. I just, you know, kind of not a big thing to me. I'm more of a relational person. And I just, maybe a job, maybe not. I'm thinking about it, but, but I can tell you this, sir. God will provide. Now, God will provide. When somebody says that to you, it sort of puts you in a conflict. Because on one hand, you think, gosh, maybe they're speaking through an angel or I might be smote by lightning if I disagree. You know, so maybe the God card is a big deal. The other side of you might go, does this guy need medication? Because God will provide. When somebody plays the God card, maybe it's God, maybe it's medication. You just never know. So the guy says, okay, great. Question number two, Larry, what are your assets? Because I want to make sure that, you know, she's got somebody who's got a foundation to be, uh, to be safe and secure on. So, I mean, real estate, uh, uh, money in the bank, uh, you know, anything in the market, Krugerrands, what do you got? What are your assets? He says, it's funny you ask that, sir. I have no assets. I got no, nothing in real estate, nothing in the market, no Krugerrands, nothing. I'm just not into that. But, sir, I can tell you one thing. God will provide. So now the guys, the dad's getting a little sweaty here, like this is not going great. Okay, question, Larry, question number three. What are your goals, dreams, and aspirations? You know, we want to make sure our, our daughter's married to somebody that's going somewhere in life that has a future and that has some, some big idea they want to go for and, and, and build something up with her. What are your goals, dreams, and aspirations? He says, sir, that's a great question. I've just never been a goal guy. I'm more of a hangout guy. Love to hang out. Goals, I don't know. 
But I can tell you one thing, sir, everybody one time. So meeting's over, young man leaves, dad's sitting there traumatized, you know, like, oh my gosh. And his wife walks in. He says, oh my gosh, honey, how did the, how did the meeting with this young man go? And the dad says, well, honey, there's good news and bad news. She says, okay, so what's the bad news? He goes, well, there's some bad news. The guy's got no assets, no job, and no goals. And now his wife is traumatized. Well, what on earth could be the good news? He says, there is a bit of good news. There is one bit. And we can rest on that, honey. He thinks I'm God. <laughs> now, for some of you, there's some autobiography scripting here. I understand, I understand that. But the fact remains is um, the people we are around matter. Now, this is a leadership breakfast. This is about guys who want to get together and in a way that brings glory to God, which, by the way, can we give it to, up to the panel? I just loved how they were. It was wonderful. <laughs> Trying to, like, bring faith in there and be successful and follow the passion and all that. And the people you're around are going to matter, just like the people matter between Larry and the dad. And what we're finding out is that some of us are good at picking, picking people who are gains, people who give us energy. And some of us get stuck with people who are drains, who suck away energy. So I want to give you, the, the takeaway for our time together is going to be, I'm going to give you some ideas and a model I have that you go away knowing some things that you need to do on a, something you can apply in the next 24, 48 hours about how to increase the energy you give and get to others, not only in your leadership, if, you, if you're in a corporate environment, if you're a small business owner, if you're in a 501c3, a nonprofit, whatever you're in, family business, but how you can give energy to the right people and gain energy to the right people. The material here is based on my new book, People Fuel. Uh, it just came out a few months ago, and we're really happy with it. Um, the first day it was released on Amazon, it was a double number one number one in Christian leadership, and number one in Christian um, uh, self-improvement because it's got self-improvement stuff. Thank you. Self-improvement stuff, and it's got leadership stuff in it. And, and so the, the principle is that God really shows up when you show up in relationships. So first off, let's talk about energy. Everybody needs energy. Does, does anybody here, could anybody here use a little more energy during their work week? Just raise it high. Right. Does anybody not need energy? You've got so much energy extra that you want to siphon it off and sell it to, you know, a conglomerate. Nobody does. The one guy in the front didn't. We can talk about bipolar illness. It's fine. It's, we can, we can do it. But the thing about it is, is that the only group that really has too much energy, there's only one demographic, and that's three-year-old children. They got too much, and we never can take naps because they don't take naps. But every one of us, we need more energy. We need... We need, like, positivity. We need creativity because leadership requires resilience. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have opportunities. But it always takes things out of you, energy, creativity, resilience. Well, we know that God takes care of that because God's the source of everything. 
But the way to look at it is that God has two main sources of giving you energy and positivity. By the way, we have a handout here on the table if you're a handout guy, if you like taking notes. If you don't like taking notes and you're more right brain and you're, right now you're thinking about golf, God bless you. If you like notes, that's another side of it. God has a vertical way of giving us energy, like what the panel said. Things like every day in the Bible and praying consistently and the Holy Spirit's ministry. That's the vertical aspect. That's how he fills us up. However, God also has what I call the horizontal aspect of energy and positivity. And guess what that is? That's each other. And there's so many Bible verses that tell us the names of the people that we're around matter. For example, 1 Peter 4, chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Peter 4 says this, We are the stewards of God's manifold grace. That is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I've studied it for many years. We are the stewards of God's manifold grace. Because think about it. We're the delivery system. Us, I don't know, there's several hundred guys here. We're the delivery system of the grace of God to each other. We're like the gas station for each other, for God's grace, because God siphons it either through the word or prayer of the Spirit or through each other. And the each other is kind of the missing link in Christian leadership. Most of my time is spent most of, uh, around the country working with corporations and churches and family businesses and leaders and this sort of thing and boards about how to get the horizontal straight because we know a lot about this and very little about this. I want to kind of explain a little bit about this. We, most of what I study now is neuroscience. If you're familiar with neuroscience, um, it's the study of the brain and how it works, how, how the brain uh, has challenges and how we can find our potential and how we can, we can have better relationships. <clears throat> and every robust study, every well-done study in neuroscience basically tells you one thing, that the Bible had it right from the very beginning. The well-done studies affirm that all that the Bible says about success, passion, relationships, family, marriage, resilience, meeting challenges, it was there all along. So I've come to the position of learning so much while I'm studying my Bible and theology, I'm also studying the science because the science affirms the Bible and supports it. This is, so what I'm getting ready to tell you now is not just kumbaya stuff. This is like hard science that's proving how our brains work in the people who are around. Um, I'll give an example of this. Sometimes a board will call me or, or a company will call me and say, hey, we want you to work with um, our CEO and make, help him or her be more, more successful. So I'll meet with them. And I'll say, okay, I'll spend a day with them. And things like uh, I'll look at the P&L, I'll look at the balance sheet, look at the vision statement, and go over cultural issues and how the ops are working and this sort of thing. And a lot of times I'll sit down with the CEO afterwards and I'll say, okay, you know, you got a great thing, you got a great product, you got great integrity, good strategy, good vision. Um, and I want to talk to you about your relationships. And the CEO will say, I got great relationships, meaning I heard you were coming. Um, and I'll say, well, well, great, let me hear about the great relationships. And um, then he'll say, oh, I got wonderful relationships. I'm mentoring this group over here. I'm discipling these guys over here. Um, I'm leading my team, my executive team, as well as my sales team. And I've got several people I'm developing. And I'll go, man, that's great. That's awesome. 
But that's what we call in leadership outgo. That's outgo of, in, of energy. Where's your ingo? Where's the people that are giving you the gasoline, the fuel? Because you can't run, if you're an F-16 and you're putting out all that outgo and all developing everybody, you got to have something to hear. And he'll go, oh, I got the end go. I'll, great. I'll say, what is it? He'll say, I've got three things. Great. I've got God. And I'll say, check. We all need God to end goals. And he'll say, I've got the greatest wife in the world. I'll say, man, tell me about it. He'll say, she listens to my insecurities and she helps me and she accepts me and, you know, she supports me. I'll say, man, great. What else you got? He'll say, my Labrador Retriever, Max. <laughs> Max loves me, and he licks me when I come home, and I feel so good because he supports me. I say, that's great. And I'll say, Sam, you're in deficit. You're in the red. And he'll go, what do you mean? I just told you about all the things that support me. I'll say, well, let's look at it this way. God resources us because he says he will, but he says that's not enough. Max is genetically engineered to lick you. <laughs> he doesn't have an option. I mean, he, he's a lab, so, and he knows he won't eat dinner if he doesn't lick you, so let's kind of, I get it, but, and your wife is tired. And by then, the wife walks in and goes, oh my gosh, can you talk to him some more? Can he get a friend? I mean, you know. And so I'll say you're in relational deficit and you need what I call in the book a life team, which is three to ten people that know it all about you, that you can be totally vulnerable with, about the things you're embarrassed about, that you're ashamed about, that you're insecure about, and they love you, and they love you when you need acceptance, and they kick you in the butt when you need to kick in the butt, and you don't have that, and they'll go get it, and a few months later they'll say it changed everything. So... My point is probably 95% of the leaders I work with are in some kind of relational deficit. That's why I'm so glad to be here at Tim's ministry because you guys are forging that horizontal and I'm going to give you some skills that help you develop the horizontal because that's the missing piece. Once you have that, it all starts to work in leadership and in, and in family as well. Um, the model I have is that we all need nutrients. Now, we all know about a lot of research about nutrients these days. We're all trying to be healthy and eat right and work out. We all know about that. And there are these bio-nutrients our body needs. This is science, right? For example, if you need calcium. Now, if you don't have enough calcium in your body, what, 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 what disorders do you get? Anybody know? Osteoporosis, all the bone things, right? If you don't have enough iron in your system, what happens? Anemia. So, so bad things happen if you don't have these these nutrients. Well, I patented the term relational nutrients because I thought it was a great, great model for this biblically and scientifically. Relational nutrients are not bio-nutrients. They're not transferred like in a pill, like a tab. They're transferred in a conversation from my brain to your brain and your brain to my brain or a text or a dinner or an email or something. And there are four categories of these nutrients I'm going to go into. It's going to be very simple. Where if we give these to the people, our directs, our clients, our employees, people in our work, our family, and we're getting them from the right people, life goes really well. There's 22 nutrients, and I don't want to go into them. We don't have enough time for that. But they're categorized into four categories, and, and, and you'll see what I mean when I give you these. But basically... Um, 
We need to be giving and receiving these four categories. I call them in the book the four quadrants pretty much every week, just like you take your supplements. All right, so here's the first one. Quadrant number one is being present. Being present. Now, being present means listening well, connecting, you know, actually like paying attention. One thing about, that's true about us leaders, and I just, I've been doing this a long time, we talk too much. I'm sorry. I know God gave you nuggets of wisdom. We all got these nuggets and blah, blah, blah. We just talk too much, and we don't listen enough. And I hope somebody's telling you that because I found that we're probably talking 30% too much, and we need to listen 30% better. For example, in the book of Job, Job chapter 2, the only good thing his three buddies did when he was suffering is said they sat with him three, seven days and seven nights and did not speak a word to him for they saw his grief was very great. They didn't give him 14 principles. In fact, the principles they gave him in the rest of the book totally sucked. But the silence was good. Listening, being empathic, supporting. And when we do that, people go, you get me. Let me give an example about this. Now, this is not a leadership example. This is, well, it's sort of a leadership plus personal example. It's happened to me. Um, when our kids were young, uh, we would have other families that we loved to do stuff with, you know, like you go on vacations with because the chemistry's good and the kids are the same age and it was fun. So we had this several families, and one of these families we went on vacation with and just loved them, loved them, loved them. Everybody loved everybody. We're on vacation um, a few years back, and one of the gals, she was a young gal, she comes to me. I've known her since she was forever. And she said, i got to talk to you. And I said, sure. She goes, i got some problems. And I said, well, gosh, tell me. She says, well, I'm a senior in college. I'm going to graduate in a few months, and I'm a communications major. And I said, I will pray for you. <laughs> How many comm majors we got right here? You know, it's not easy to walk out with a communications major. She says, I'm just scared on the job market. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. She goes, well, that's not all. I said, okay, what else? She goes, Spencer and I broke up. Now, Spencer, I just loved Spencer. I thought he was the God's guy. We had dinner. He's just perfect. I love the chemistry. And I said, not Spencer. I just love that guy. And she goes, I don't want to go into it. It's over, over, over. And I'm just a kind of a mess, and I'm very sad and lonely, and it's been hard. She, her heart was broken. I said, boy, you got two bad hits. I mean, you got the, the job thing impending, and you got your relationship. She goes, that's not all. What else? She goes, I don't know if I believe in God. I said, well, tell me about that. My heart just kind of sank because she grew up in a Christian home, great Christian church, but something was wrong. I said, well, how did that happen? She says, well, I'm, a, I'm in a campus of 40,000 other kids, and, you know, everybody's got different ideas about religion and faith in God, and, and my world religion teachers got me thinking other things. And I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, is my faith just kind of scotch-taped on my head by my mom and dad? Or is it really a faith that I own and I don't know and I'm kind of questioning all this? And I got it because I knew somebody else in their early 20s who had job problems, relationship problems, and faith problems. Guess who that was? I got it. I'd been there. So I said, I'll do anything for you. I've known you since you were born. What can I do? She goes, you can do something. I said, I'll do anything. She goes, Fix my mother. 
what? I mean, how did we get from Faith and Spencer to fix my mom? I mean, where's the connection there at? I said, I don't, what are you talking about? She says, well, I'll tell you. Now, her mother's one of my best friends. She said, every time I try to open up my mama about this and I tell her about my fear of my insecurities, my mother looks at me and she goes, all right, honey, look at me. You're smart. You're strong. You're resilient. Feel better. <laughs> and I go, what do you feel when she says that? She goes, it's lame. I said, it is. What do you do? She says, I'll blow her off. I said, yeah, I probably would blow her off too. She goes, I know, so go fix her. So, okay. So how about you and your dad? No, dad and I talk all the time. So I knew it wasn't a mom and dad thing. It was a she and mom thing. So I go find her mom. By the way, I'm on vacation. I just want to share that. <laughs> I wasn't on the clock, but I love the family. So I grab mom, and, you know, in every, every, you know, vacation, there's always three places to have the real talks. I mean the real talk. And it's either upstairs in that third bedroom where nobody's around or in the kitchen where everybody's in the dining room. That's another one. And the other one is in the backyard where the swing is. Research has proven it's one of those three places. <laughs> so I grabbed Mama. I said, let's go to the swing. She goes, what's up? I said, your daughter's in trouble. She goes, I know. I said, she's got a job fear problem. She's got a boyfriend's broken heart problem. And she's got a faith problem. She goes, I know. And I said, she tells me she tries to talk to you. She goes, I know she does. I said, she tells me that she tells you how sad and scared she is. She goes, I know. She tells me that you tell her that she's strong and smart and resilient. She's a winner. She goes, I know, I do. I said, she tells me she blows you off. She goes, she does. Fix my daughter. <laughs> I'm having a great day. <laughs> Vacation. Thank you. So I said, what do you mean fix your daughter? She goes, well, you know, you're a psychologist. And I, God gave me these nuggets of encouragement and, you know, advice. And so uh, just open up her brain and put my nuggets in and clap her clothes and she'll be fine. That's what you guys do. I said, it doesn't really work like that. She goes, how does it work? I said, well, probably the best way to do it is to tell you a metaphor. Your daughter fell down a well, a really deep well, and it's the well of no job and no relationship and maybe no God, and she's at the bottom of the well, and she's terrified, and she's overwhelmed, and it's dark, and it's scary, and it's awful. And you love her, and you're a leader, and you're a mom, and you want to care for her, so you, you see her in the well. And, but, but the problem is, from where you are, the sun is shining, and Alexa is playing um, Hillsong. <laughs> so that's working. And so everything's kind of okay where you are. And so you look down and you say, Honey, you're smart and strong and resilient. Come on up, like Bob Barker, you know, come on up. She ignores you. She goes, What am I supposed to do then? I said, Well, your husband's a very good friend of mine. And he loves y'all's daughter like you do. And he and I've seen him with her. And, and when he sees y'all's daughter in the well, and he looks in and sees her pain, he jumps in the well. And he picks up his daughter. And he holds her. And he says, 
It's scary here. It's overwhelming. There aren't many great answers here. You're, it's terrifying and it's sad and I've got you. I got you. And I'll have you here. It'll be me and you until you're ready to get out. I've got you. That's why she listens to you, to her, to him, and not to you. My, my friend is no fool. And she said, you're telling me to get in the well. And I said, I am. You're a leader. Leader's got to get in the well. The well of pain. The well of confusion. The well of graze. And she goes, but that's so hard for me. I'm a positive person. I've got encouragement. I've got advice. I said, we need all that in this world. We need encouragement and advice. But you've got your sequence wrong. She's a good Christian. I said, go to John chapter 1, verse 14. John the disciple is talking about, about uh, the Lord. And he says, Jesus came to the world, John 1, 14, full of two things. Does anybody know what they are? Some of you Bible guys? He came to the world full of Grace, yes, and truth. Grace and truth. And I've studied the Greek there. The syntax is important. The order is important. It doesn't say he came full of truth and grace. He came full of grace and truth. And you know why the order is important? Because you earn the right to tell the truth by the grace you provide. You earn the right to tell the truth, the advice, the encouragement, the wisdom, by the grace you provide. Nobody's going to listen to you if you're all encouragement, advice, here's your next step, unless they know you're in the well with them. You haven't earned it yet. She goes, well, I'm, I'm not, that's not natural for me. And I said, yeah, a lot of things aren't natural for us, but you've got to learn it. So I don't, however you do it, get, take listening courses or put duct tape on your mouth. I don't care, but you've got to learn this. She's a good person. I checked back on them in six weeks. And I went to the daughter, and the daughter said, Mom and I talk all the time. Check with the mom. She goes, I'm getting in the well with her. Now, let's get to us. I give this talk all the time around the country to high-performing people like y'all. Right now, probably about 90% of us are thinking the following. i got to get better about getting in the well. I give advice too quick, and... You know, positivity too much. I don't get to the pain. I don't hold it because it's uncomfortable. I got to get better about that. That's a good thought. It's a good thought. I would like for you to take that thought and put it in the parking lot in your head for a second because I have another thought that I want you to replace it with. And that thought we need to deal with. And that thought is seven words. So just for a second, I want you to consider these seven words. Who am I inviting to my well? Who am I inviting to my well of stress, insecurity, embarrassment, shame? Because that's the real question for us. Because if you don't have anybody but the Lord, the Lord says that's not enough. Ecclesiastes 4 says, Woe to you when you fall and there's not another to lift him up. I've studied the Hebrew there. 
that lift you up is not a Jesus passage. It's a people passage because it's the vertical and the horizontal. God, Holy Spirit, Bible, you've got to have those. And who's in the well with you that has skin on? Because think about it on a physics level. How can you give to all these people what you're not receiving? How can you provide what you're not experiencing? We've got a lot of leaders burning out around the country. I work with so many of them. They've got great faith lives, but they don't let anybody into those vulnerable, embarrassing, shame-filled, scared places, and they're dying and getting diseases and cancer and heart attacks and their marriages and their kids are in trouble and they don't know why it's because they haven't let another guy in to say it's really really bad right now and I need coffee with you and your people need that too so number one part of this I challenge you to this week get in the well with somebody that needs it maybe it's one of your kids maybe it's your spouse maybe it's a direct Maybe it's a client. People are dying for this. And the Bible teaches it and the hard science teaches it. Number two is providing or conveying the good. Conveying the good. And this just has to do with positivity. You know, you get discouraged sometimes. Some people, you know, sometimes you, you, may, you mess up a, a, a client. A client tanks on you. Don't get a report in on time. You didn't do a good job leading your team or something. And people get down. And you need people that will build you up. And you need to build up other people. Kind of like that little shot of endorphin that comes to your brain and you feel better. There's a great passage in there uh, about this in Proverbs 16. It says, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Provide gracious words. You know one of the best things you can say to somebody is, I noticed something you did well. It's like with TSA. If you all travel a lot, you know, what does TSA tell you? If you see it, say it, right? So if you're walking down, you know, O'Hare and there's a, like a black bag that's ticking, <laughs> probably ought to say something, right? If you see it, say it. If you see somebody in your job, just catch them saying, great job with that client. Or you, you really went over and above there. I noticed that. It is a megaphone because you're a leader. It's a megaphone to their heads. They'll never forget it. It's just huge for them. I was leaving my office one day. I got an office here years ago with another another company I was I was had and um, walk, going down the elevator on fourth floor down the first floor with a guy named Jim who was um, sort of our call center person. And he was a techie kind of a person, but really good relationally too. One of those good good left brain, good right brain. And I watched how good he was with people. People just kind of came to him, and, I, and and we had how long does it take to go down the four floors in an elevator like? I don't know, 12 seconds or so. I said, he was going to lunch, I was going to lunch. I said, by the way, you ought to think about being a counselor. You're just awesome. I, I see people warm up to you, and you're, you're great at tech and calls, but the people skills are insane. He goes, oh, thanks. Walks away. Six months later, he gets another job at another company. It was a good move for him. We loved him, but it was, it was a good move for him. Five years later, I see him at a party. I said, Jim, how, how the world's it going? He goes, I'm doing great. I said, tell me, what, how's life? He says, well, uh, I'm a Christian counselor now. I said, gosh, going from techie call stuff to Christian counseling? He says, yeah, my wife and I got about it, prayed about it, and uh, we loved it, and uh, I've been having my own practice for years, and I love this. And I said, fantastic, way to go. He says, well, thank you for what you did. And I went, what? He says, yeah, thank you for what you did. I said, I'm sorry. He goes, 
You know, that elevator talk I said, I don't remember. Then it came back to me. He said, when you said that, I went home to my wife and I said, my boss said this, and we got to think about it because it, it, it connected with the passion I had inside that I've been thinking about. And when you said it, it kind of affirmed it. And he said, um, that's what started this whole thing. Guys, it was a one-off. I mean, it was like a, a free association. But if you're a leader, you have no clue as to how you impact people in your work by what you notice them doing well. Give them the good. They need it all the time. Catch them doing something great. Third quadrant is providing reality. Providing reality. And that's not being present with somebody in the well, and that's not encouraging. It's giving them the info, the data. You know, we kind of have to be, well, you know, Star Wars. We have to be Yoda. Not baby Yoda, but Yoda Yoda. <laughs> we have to be Yoda. We have to give them answers strategically. We have to give them insights. We have to help them pass their problems because... That's what we're there for. And sometimes we have to have data and research and analytics, meta-analytics, and sometimes we just say, here's an idea. We owe them that. I'm sitting having dinner, dinner with a company I was consulting with after our day, and I'm talking to the sales manager. Good guy. I said, how's it going? He says, well, my rock star sales guy, he's not making his quota. And I'm kind of worried because, you know, we, we, got, we depend on him. I said, oh, that's a hard problem. So how are you handling that? That's a big problem. Your rock star is not performing. He says, I told him, a lot of people waiting in line for that job. <laughs> well, there's EQ. That's a great emotional quotient right there. I just was awful. I said, that's what you told me? He says, yeah. I said, that's, so that's how you're like motiv motivating this guy? He goes, yeah. Said, oh, my gosh. I said, can I ask a couple of questions? Let me put my, my consultant hat on for a second. He said, sure. I said, well. Has his job changed? He goes, well, yeah, I doubled his territory without giving him a new resource. <laughs> How's his life? Well, he says something about, I think they've got a sick kid that, you know, all this. But anyway, he said, seriously, the, the, like an EQ in the red. And I said, before you tell him that, you might save yourself a lot of brain damage of how to deal with this. If you go to him and ask him, what you can do to help him with this doubling of the territory. And there's anything you can do about his kid. He goes, okay. Come back a month later, he goes, I was an idiot. And I said, I didn't have to say it. <laughs> he said, oh, my gosh, the guy was so discouraged and just overwhelmed and, like, you know. So I, said, I just gave him, I gave him a little less territory, a little more resource, and he's like rocking and rolling, and we found a good doctor and a, a good hospital for the kid, and they're scared, but he knows I'm on his side. His numbers are back up because you gave him an answer. There's a great, 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 if you haven't seen the TED Talk, The Power of Why, W-H-Y-Y -Y by Sinek, if you're a leader, you've got to see this, 17 minutes long, about asking people why to get to things. It's not just here's the answer, it's go to the why. That's the Yoda part of leadership is helping them with the why. And the last one is calling to action. And calling to action just means, you know, you can have the insight, you can have the aha, you can have the answer, but you've got to have behavior. In neuroscience, what we found out is like, if you, don't, if you guys like this stuff and you go, yeah, okay, I got a couple of ideas here, but if you walk out and you don't do anything about it for within 90 days, no action step, you will forget 85% of this. 
And it's not like it's cached in the hard drive. It's like deleted, like never there. Because the brain requires not only information, like we're doing now, what, what Tim has set up, not only information, but it requires behavior. Behavior cements the lessons. Behavior makes it permanent for change. That's why you've got to do something. Generally, within 48 hours is really where you keep it. So action steps are really important. I mean, I was working with a, uh, a, a, a family uh, in another part of the country, and, and uh, working with the, the guy says he's mid-30s, he's kind of figuring out life, got a couple of kids, and, and I said, how's life going? He says, well, my, my wife says I'm doing good there, and that's good, and my kids are getting care, but my self-care is bad, I'm, losing, I'm, I'm gaining weight, and my spiritual life, I'm just not getting to that. And I said, that's a big problem, everybody's got it, what are you doing about it? And he just kind of like, trying harder, which wasn't helping. I said, let me just text you every day for a while, and not like a mean, coachy thing like, you know, get your act together. It's like more, hey, just checking in. Want to know how, how the self-care is going, working out, sleeping right, and how the spiritual life's going. Just so you know somebody's thinking about you. He said, okay. Checked in with him a couple weeks later. He goes, man, that made all the difference. Just know I get a nice, friendly kind of accountability, but friendly accountability, just to say, thinking about you. You're already a good husband. You're already a good dad. You're already great in business, but the you part, your own self-care and your spiritual life. He goes, I started thinking about it. Things are better. There's just little action steps like that that make all the difference. So be a leader of, of behavior as well. So that's the message, is that you guys need those four quadrants of being present, and you need to give it. You need the quadrant of being encouraged, you need to give it. You need the quadrant of having wisdom and strategy and, and insight, and you need to give it, and you need action steps. Now, um, I've got all those down, the 22 forms in a little, a little card here, the relational nutrients, and they'll be at the back table. Um, if you come back and you're interested in what we're doing in our offerings, um, I'll sign it for you, because I don't have any books here today, but I'll sign this for you and say, you know, say something nice. And uh, all you got to do is sign up on our email list for if you're interested in what we do, uh, and you'll get it. Let me tell you a couple of things about what, what we do. Um, I have two organizations that are represented in the back here of the table. One's called Townsend Leadership Program. And it's a, if you're interested in professional growth and training, you just join. We have small groups all across the country. We've got a, several here in, in uh, Orange County. They have one full day of training per, per month for a year at a time. Several people here in this group. How many of you have been experienced at TLP? Raise your hand. Okay, so there's guys around here that have, that have experienced it already. A year at a time, and we deal with professional growth, strategic growth, also EQ, personal growth. I'd love to train with you. So just go over there and sign up for that, just for interest if you have that in mind. And Dale will be glad to help you. Dale's in the back. If you're interested in an academic world, we have Townsend Institute. I'm partnered with Concordia University, Irvine, down the road. And we, we, we provide a fully online, fully accredited master's in organizational leadership. You can be full-time uh, dad. You can be a full-time worker. You can not, but you can knock our degree out in one year. Or a master's in executive coaching or uh, consulting. You can knock it out in one year with a full-time job. Uh, or a master's in counseling. Uh, all accredited. We even have a bachelor's program now. And we're highly relational, highly skill-based, highly marketable, reasonably priced. Um, we're oriented for today's marketplace. So that's the message. But Tim said, make sure the guys connect before you go. So 
What, I, what I've got on your outlines there is two discussion questions. I want you to spend a few minutes asking those questions. I'll be at the back after that on your way out. And here's the questions. One, think, think of three key people in your organization. What is one relational nutrient that they need for you to provide as their leader that you can do this week? Does somebody need encouragement or listening or information or calling to action? But secondly, and I think kind of more importantly, what's one nutrient that you need for you this week and who are you going to get it from? So that's the message. Talk about a few minutes. I'll be over there afterwards. God bless you guys. Thanks a lot.